You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. We're going to continue talking in our series about like living living victoriously. Who likes the idea of living victoriously? Amen. Yes. And uh, so we found some a few key things that have really helped us be able to to live a, a victorious life. And uh, so we're going to continue sharing those things with you guys because that's what you are called to. You're called to live in victory. You're called to overcome. And uh, so praise the Lord. So I uh, did Alyssa go back there? She did go back there. She uh, she shared this word. She wrote it and gave it to Ron and Wendy. And I just thought this was really good. And out of the mouth of babes, she said, I saw the church form into a castle. It had a very strong foundation and a very sturdy roof. Then I heard God say, it's not quite done yet. It's still transforming. And I really, really bore witness. And Ron and Wendy did too, bore witness to that word. And, and that's one of the things And we've, um, we're, we're very young, amen, but uh, yes, we we've are. been doing this long enough to where, you know, we, you realize that there's, a, there's an incubation period when God's really working with people, and we're still in that, and it's just no problem. It's really, really good, and, and we have so much to think about what God has given this, this people right here, us, um, in terms of you guys are the most important, people are the most important, but the fact that we have a very nice facility and an incredible location that is totally, completely paid off and a pretty good amount of money in the bank, and it's growing. It's awesome. We have a really, really awesome start, and uh, it's just going to keep getting better and better and gooder and gooder. And there's going to be things, so, you know, like in Perryville, uh, we learn things, and God showed us things, and so we've got some of that that is happening here, but then there's going to be things that come out of here that affect Perryville and that affect you know, other things in other places. And, and there's more. As a matter of fact, part of the prophecy that I received from this Scottish guy, uh, man, he said... I wish I could um, say, I'm ringing, yeah, say, uh, talk in that accent. It just sounds so like... William, move your head, boy. Heed, <laughs> heed. Okay, yeah. that was from a movie. I do this all the time. Don't I used to it. watch movies that, that just weren't as edifying. Some of y'all seen that movie, haven't you? Shame on you. Come down here and repent right now. Um, anyways, it was, yeah, it was a bad, it was a bad movie. It was. I mean, it was, okay, anyways. But I learned how to speak a little Scottish then. So, hallelujah. Where was I going with that? So, Scottish He's, man he, who was giving you a word. He doesn't know anything about our church. He doesn't know anything about anything. And he said... Well, he knows something about something. He... <laughs> Concerning concerning us, I heard a guy this last week. He said, "My wife and I, we don't minister too too good together because it's we're like two wal- walruses fighting over a grape." And I got that picture, and everyone stopped and they were thinking, "Boy, that would really be a funny thing." So, please, okay, no, I'm just kidding. Um, but he he said this was really exciting. He said that um, that he said you're in one state. But he said, I see you in more states. And so I just, I took that and it just fit in with some other things. And I, I'm just not thinking small anymore. I just refuse to think small anymore. 
When the Lord gave me the name of the church, I didn't just sit and go, you know, what's a good name for the church? Let's see if we can come up with a good, what's a name that's not being used? Come to find out Perry Stone has the same name as our church. And somebody sent us money one time thinking it was Perry Stone. And then they asked, they asked for a return. I was thinking, no, no, we need it. So, but we did, we gave, we sent the money to Perry or whatever, however that worked out. But, uh, you know, the Lord gave me the name of the church, Overcomers Church International. It was through all of the, is that on our website? By the way, is that that video, that testimony video on our website? I don't know. I made a video talking about the church name. It's coming? Okay. Well, anyways, I recorded it like a year ago. Anyways, so just I went through talking about how all of, you know, God gave me the the name and, and, uh, you know, different prophecies and different words and things like that. And when it came to the international part, I struggled with it a little bit because, and I even had somebody after I named it, they're like, well, this church is only in Perryville. And I said, you know what? Not in the heart of God. Not in God's mind. It's going gonna, it's gonna to reach further and beyond that. But at times when people would ask, you know, what's the name of your church? And I'll say, Overcomers Church. And you know what? I was wrong for saying that. I should have said Overcomers Church International. And it's the reason I didn't want to do that, didn't want to say it, is because I didn't want to have to give explanation to people. Why is, it called, why is it called international when you don't have any campuses overseas or whatever? Which Anyway, so so I sloughed off saying what God said, and I've been wrong for doing that, but I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not thinking small anymore. And this is an issue of faith because Abraham had to do the same same thing because he was, God said, your name is no longer Abram, it's Abraham, which means the father of many nations. And back in that time, names meant a whole lot, you know, you know, today, it's like, I'm Kent, I'm Ron, I'm Wendy. They don't necessarily mean as much, but back then, when you were named something, it was because that name represented something about your life that was true. So you realize that Abraham, every time he went somewhere, before he had Isaac, which was many years, he would go places and he would say, I'm Abraham, and that would mean the father of many nations. And so could you imagine the, exp- the amount of explanation he would have to give to people? Oh, you're Abraham, the father of many nations. Where's your country? Well, I don't have a country established yet. Well, then where's your, where's your, your family? Well, my wife and I are, are really old, and we don't have any kids. But we're going to have a whole bunch. I mean, could you imagine like the, the kind of things that people would have, would have said and the, and the snarky remarks and the, the, all the unbelief that would have come? But yet he stayed, well... For a while, he didn't, but at some point, he got in, he was in hope, contrary to hope, he believed God, and in spite of their inability, the inability of their bodies to, to do what God said was going to happen, they got in faith, and they did it by saying what God said about them. I am Abraham, I'm the father of many nations, that planted seed, that seed germinated, and it, and it blossomed into something that was the promise of God, and we are overcomers. Which whenever the Lord gave me that, I was like, yeah. Well, if you, <laughs> that meant that there was going to be some things to overcome. And so he conveniently left that part out. He just said, you're Overcomers Church International. And so we're just going to say what God says about us. Amen. We're going to be in faith about it. So I wanted to, I wanted to this is uh, this morning. They didn't get this. You guys are getting something special. Can we pull that picture up? I don't know how this is going to look. Eh, you really can't see it too well. Okay, but I have to tell you this. You can, you can tell see what it they better are. here because that's on the wall and it's speckled. Okay, so that is, oh, let me tell you this. When we walked out of church this morning in Perryville, who saw it? Was it did you see it? Yeah. Yeah, several, several different people saw it. Was this your, from your phone? Did you take this picture? Yeah. That is three 
bald eagles, and the church in Perryville is not near water, and it doesn't have any tall trees right there. And they were flying over the campus, and there were all those specks. They look white, but they were gold, gold-colored yes. leaves that were swirling all, all over. Now, normally, I'm, I'm not one to be like, that's God, but I can tell you now, this was God. Yeah. And part of the word that got prophesied over, uh, over me by this, this Scottish guy as he said, and he was praying over me, and he said, Lord, lift him up um, like in the heights or with the strength of eagles. Rise with the wings of eagles. Rise with the wings of eagles. That's right. And then so then the very next Sunday today, we come out, and this is taking place over our parking lot. Why? It was God. It, it was a sign. And I'll tell you what the sign is. I think the gold leaves represent the, the blessing, the favor, the increase possibly of the, the Lord. uncommon favor. And there's no trees. The parking lot over there is humongous, and there's no trees in the parking lot. Why were all of these leaves swirling right over, right over the, the building? On Did the they church. fall on the church? They only fell on the church? All, only on the church, not on the parking lot. That's amazing. It, it was, it and was then, a sight to behold. And then these, awesome. I, I was inside ministering to people, so I didn't see any of this. <laughs> but, I, but yeah, so these eagles are flying over, and I believe that it's it's prophetic of the view that God is giving us for the season that we're entering into. That's right. Yeah. So anyways, just kind of a cool thing. Praise the Lord. Good deal. That's so good. Well, let's get into sharing the word, shall we? We shall. You all ready to receive the word tonight? Would you stand to your feet and let's just pray. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for that 12-minute introduction. <laughs> but Lord, our hearts are ready to receive what you have for yes. us. And God, thank I thank you, you that your spirit is here, your anointing is here, and your word is all-powerful. We believe it has the, the, the answer. We believe it has all of the victory that we'll ever need in this life. Yes. And God, I thank you that every person in here is called by your name. And I believe that everyone is supposed to be here tonight that is here. I don't say that very often, but I believe that every person that is here tonight is supposed to be here. I believe it is destiny that they're going to hear the things tonight that are going to propel them forward, propel us forward together. We thank you for the strength and the unity. And God, I just ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation tonight as we hear your word, that God, we go from glory to glory, and we're leveling up tonight in relationship with you. We're leveling up in our life because of you and because of your spirit and your word at work in our life. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. So we started ministering last week, like I said, on uh, have, you know living victorious. And so we're going to just take maybe one, maybe two more weeks, and we're going to talk about this living victorious. And so last week we talked about overcoming victimhood or uh, overcoming a, like a victim mentality. If you miss that, you need to go back and listen to it. It was very, very, uh, it was very good. And so, but this week we're going to talk about uh, just really God's love, God's love to you and God's love through you in particular. And this is sometimes ministering on the love of God is difficult uh, because everybody, whenever they hear like, and even sometimes when I've ministered this before, I'll say this same thing. This is difficult to minister on because everyone thinks they kind of almost like, oh, yeah, God's love. But there really is no, there's no end to God's love. It says that there are dimensions to God's love. There's the width, the length, the height, the breadth, the depth, whatever the dimensions are. All those dimensions are there. And the deal is, is that uh, God is love and love is God and God's eternal. Therefore, his love is eternal. 
which means that there is no end to it. There's no way, you can measure God's love, but at the same time, it's immeasurable. You can capture God's love, you can get a revelation of God's love, but you can never fully get the full revelation of what God's love is. And so it's important that we just always remember that when we're listening to things concerning the love of God. But, um, you know, one of the things that's really important to me, and I, and I like this, and I remember even being younger, and it really, it really helped me grab a hold of something, and that is that, you know, the, the word love in the English language is really not a good word to describe God's love. It's just the word that we use. So the Greek uses the word agape. And so agape, and I, and I really like this, agape, uh, really it means a, a love that has no strings attached to it. And so when you're talking about God's kind of love, it's on an unearned, unmerited basis that that love comes to us, is given to us. And so when you're talking about God's love, it's different than every other kind of love. And we say things like, you know, I love my dog. I love my house. I love steak. I love six flags. I love ice cream. I love God. And there's a big difference between loving ice cream and loving God. Well, there Amen. should be. There should be anyways. Yeah, that's exactly. And there should be a difference between loving your wife and loving your dog as well, too. So uh, <laughs> praise God. So we just kind of lump all of these things together. And but really, agape is in a category, is in a a position all on its own. There's not anything else that compares to it, because when you talk about a lot of the other kinds of love, and even the scriptures will use, like for example, the word phileo, which is like a, a brotherly kind of love, which is where Philadelphia comes from, the city of brotherly love, right? And so those different phrases are in there, but this word agape is in there. And it's referencing God's kind of love, the kind of love that he has towards us that's based on benevolence and is not based on performance at all. Where a lot of times, yeah, and a lot of times the way that we relate to each other, which is just why we have to level up, but human beings will relate to each other. We would say that, you know, I love you with the love of the Lord, but then as soon as they do something to tick you off, you don't want to talk to them anymore. Well, praise God that God doesn't love us with the love of the Lord like that, but he loves us with a true, a true uh, agape love to where it's not based on our performance at all. And praise God for that because we've all blown it enough, amen? So I want to I start in Romans chapter 5. Let's go to Romans chapter 5, and we're going to go to verses, and we're going to read verses 5 and 6, and we're going to read this out of the Passion Translation which is a little bit different, but I love the way it phrases things sometimes, and I love this verse in particular. So Romans 5, and we're going to go to verse 5, and it says, And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy. That is so awesome. Because we can now ex experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. For when the time was right, the anointed one, speaking of Jesus, of course, came and died to demonstrate his love for sinners who were entirely helpless, weak, and powerless to save themselves. Man, don't you just love our God and love the love that our God has given to us? But I love the fact that it talks about God's love cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Now, the New King James talks about that the Holy Spirit was, it actually says was, past tense, poured out into our hearts. And so, you know, the thing is, is that some people could, could get a little contentious and say, well, the Holy Spirit's 
already poured out the love of God, and so we don't, you know, we don't get or need the love of God anymore. Well, I want to point out something here, and, and I've run in circles with, with some, not run in circles around them, but I've been in circles or groups of people that have almost alluded to like, you know, God's love has already been poured out, which it has in Scripture back set up, but it, it almost is to such a doctrinal accuracy that it eliminates um, any form of relationship with the Lord. And the deal is, is that the Holy Spirit was given to us, and the reason he was given to us is to remind us, one of the reasons is to remind us of how much the Father really, truly loves us. That's part of the reason that the Holy Spirit, because it says that the Holy Spirit was poured out, that the love of God was poured out through the Holy Spirit. So here's what I've come to the conclusion that is that any time I need reminded of the love of God, then I just go to the Lord and I say, Lord, I just think, and I just, this is the way I do it, is I begin to remind myself of how much God loves me and cares for me. And right then, the Holy Spirit begins to pour love out into my heart again. And it's a matter of positioning yourself there because if something is going to be poured, that means that it needs to fall into a container. That means we need to be empty in the sense that we're, we're open to receive and then positioned for the Holy Spirit to pour out what he has concerning the love of God for us. Amen. You know, God, God's not a um, spiritual sperm donor. He, he doesn't. Does anybody feel shocked by that? Good, it worked. Uh, he doesn't just bring us in and then not have anything to do with us. He brings us in, and it's for the purpose of having relationship with us. And that's why he gave us the Holy Spirit. Because anytime that we need, and basically it's every day. I don't know about you all, but every day I need reminded of how much God loves me. Of the fact that he does love me in a totally unconditional manner. In proportionate to anything that I say, think, do, believe, whatever. Whatever, any of Kent's shenanigans have nothing to do with the measure of love that God has for me. And I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit that he's done that. That, that's so good. That is so important to remember that he, he longs to pour out his love on us on a continual basis. We're the ones who sometimes aren't positioned to receive. But when we position ourselves to receive, then it is just going to come upon us. And sometimes this love, you know, it can be so felt and so tangible. But then sometimes just because of, you know, circumstances or a way we're thinking or it's, it doesn't feel so tangible, and that's when we just have to remind ourselves that God does love me, that he is with me, that he is my father, that agape, that being inside of love is, is always, like we, it is always available to us. And so when we remind ourselves, that's usually then when we can get this experiential knowledge, this felt, but it doesn't always have to be where you're, you know, just, it's so tangible. Although I think that we should get to this place where God's love is, we're, we're just so in tune with him, so in tune with the Holy Spirit, and that his love is just being lavished upon us, that it is so easy for it to just come out of us, for it just to, you know, just flow from us, because we're just, we're in it. And the thing is, is that when you're being filled up, then it's the overflow that comes out. It's cascading. 
I love that. To me, that's like endless. It's like a waterfall. There isn't usually an end to it. And when you stand underneath it, there's more than enough that's good. for you. Yeah. There's more than enough. You get some, but then you can continue to pour it out. And it's like, it's even like a tiered, you know, God will pour it out on you and then you pour it out on somebody else and then they can pour. It's endless. That's right. It's so endless. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that the love of God, I can experience him and then I can have an endless flow, but so can you. There's more than enough for all of us to receive so much. Yeah. So powerful. Um, so I'm, I was reading this book and uh, this paragraph here, I wanted to read this to you. This is so good. It really struck a chord in my heart. Uh, unlike other forms of love, in quotations, agape has no strings attached. Nothing can be done to earn it and nothing can be done to extinguish it. The very nature of agape is completely unbiased and is unattached to any level of performance, good or bad, which means God can't love you any less than he loves you right now, and he can't love you any more than he loves you right now. (laughs) Knowing he can't love you any less helps you get over like your past, but knowing that he can't love you any more helps you eliminate trying to perform to get it. Although it is willing to confront sin, it never rejects the sinner. It doesn't take into account any wrong done. It doesn't take into account an individual's gender, ethnicity, skin color, social status, economic status, or any part of their past. Everyone is qualified for it. How do you qualify for God's love? Do you have breath in your lungs? You're qualified. You can't. There's nothing you can do other than just being born, being a human, you qualify for it. His love knows no boundaries. It gives away and expects nothing in return. That's where we need to have a checkup from the neck up. Because human beings, like the only, the only real true example we have of grace and a gracious love comes from the Father. Everything in the world It's always giving with this hope or this idea that we're going to get something in return. And I think that that's healthy. Like in a marriage, it would be pretty sad if if it was like, you know, when we were 15, 16, 17, 18, and you loved me and I didn't love you very, at least not very well. Anyways, that's another story of another time. But, you know, it should be, it should go back and forth. But agape isn't like a brotherly love. Agape isn't like... Um, you know, whatever other kind of love could be described here on this earth. It's a love that is given and expects nothing in return. This should tell us how we should give. When we're giving finances, when we're giving our time, whether it's to the church or to people or just however, whatever we're doing, when we're giving something, it shouldn't be with any expectation in return. Now, it's right, especially when you're talking about the law of sowing and reaping. It's wise to sow knowing that you're going to reap a harvest back. That's wisdom. That's biblical. But the motivation for why we give should be be just because we love, because that's what agape does. God's love is entirely based on its inherent characteristics. The very nature of agape is unwavering and operates independent and irregardless of the actions of the one it is directed to. Because of its nature, it can't help but to unconditionally treat people with uncommon favor and grace. God can't help himself when it comes to you. Uh, Because... 
Agape's decision to give has nothing to do with the deservedness of the one receiving. If it did, it wouldn't be agape. So this whole thing about, about God's love, this is the most, for me, has been the most, the single most empowering thing for me in my life that's caused me to live in victory. Because if you have God's love as a foundation in your life, the enemy, it doesn't leave any room for the enemy to accuse you. And I don't know if you're aware of this, but we can look at this from the scriptures in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 and 11, and it talks about how that Satan, the accuser, was cast down, and, and, and John's seeing this vision of the enemy being cast down, and he was being cast down, and he was the one that accused the brethren day and night. And what did he accuse them of? He accused them of anything that they had done, anything that they thought wrong about. He accused them of and tried to get them, and the accusation was, was more than just accusing. It was also trying to get them to believe that they were something different than what God said that they were. He did it with Adam and Eve and said, if you eat of the tree, then you'll be like God. They ate, their eyes were open, but they were really already like God. He tried to do the same thing with Jesus. He told Jesus, he said, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God, he tempted him. The temptation was partly to believe that he wasn't who God says that he was. And do you know what he's doing to us today? It's, he's accusing us of being something different than what we are. And one of the things that we are is loved. And one of the things that, that happens, the very first thing that happens when we do something wrong, we think wrong, or we start thinking about our past where we did wrong, is we get into, we may, it won't start with thinking, oftentimes, and this is how the enemy is sneaky, it won't start with us going, I'm not sure if God loves me, but we'll start hating on ourselves. We'll start becoming, um, dis, we'll, we'll be disapproved of ourselves, we'll have displeasure that will come from within us upon ourselves, and and that's the enemy working to try to get us to see ourselves different than how God sees us. And if God loves us, if God accepts us, if God approves of us, if God has pleasure over our life, who are we ever to not have that? Who are we to ever enter into self-hatred? We have, let me tell you something, you have no right to hate yourself. As a son or a daughter of God, you have no right to hate yourself because God loves you. God accepts you. God considers you valuable and precious and beautiful and every word you could fit in there that's good. That's how God sees you and I. And we, I think the only thing God probably really gets mad at us about is when we, when we come down on his creation. I don't even think he gets mad at us about that. But I'm just saying, the Lord, he doesn't see us oftentimes like we, like we see. He sees us through the eyes of love. Everything about him is, is seeing us as his beloved. Right. And any time that, as long as we remain inside of love, then that is where we continually feel that lavish, that the goodness of him, just even the reminder of, oh God, God loves me. And it's when we're outside of love, when we take ourselves outside of love, that that's where the enemy, the accuser, that's where he wants you to remain because right. outside of love is his territory. It, that's his territory. But inside of love, he can't, he can't penetrate that. That's right. So if we stay inside of love, then the enemy can't accuse us because we're like, nope, nope, I'm loved by God. Nope, I, I'm loved by God. God loves me. 
I am valuable and precious in his sight. So we have to remain in love. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the thing about being in, in God's, God's love is that there is removal of any fear of judgment. We're not supposed to be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid of people judging us. And if people do judge us, who gives a rippity rip, flippity flip what anybody else thinks? Remember what God thinks about you. But, you know, the, the love of God, and we know this, that, you know, perfect love casts out all fear. And we're going we're gonna to read this. But the idea of perfect love, which perfect love is God's kind of love, the reason it casts out all fear is because the fact that he loves us has nothing to do with our performance. And so it says that we have boldness in the day of judgment, meaning that we can stand before the Lord uh, on the day of judgment, which there's different judgments. There's the white throne judgment, and then there's like the Bema seat and the Bema seat. Uh, there's another name for it too, but um, that's where we're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to receive reward for, for what we did, basically. And we can stand, whatever it looks like, we can stand before the Lord. Now, the white throne judgment, I've known that to be the decision between when people spend eternity with the Lord and eternity not with the Lord and outer darkness and all of that. But for believers that will stand uh, at the Bama seat of Christ, they will stand in judgment we will be able to do it in God's love with boldness. Why? Because the reason that we're there standing before him is because he loves us. And we don't have to have any fear because perfect love casts out all fear. So the, the, the picture of this and why this is so important for us to understand right now is that if we can come to a realization that the most, there is only one true God. And the fact that he is holy, he is righteous, he is flawless, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent, he's all of the big words that I don't even know how to say right and don't even know what all of them mean. He is all of that and that it's, it says that us previously fallen people who have now been redeemed are so in the love of God and God is so in love with them that they can stand boldly before him, because perfect love has cast out any fear that they, may not, that they may not be accepted by God. That's how powerful the love of God is. So look at this here in 1 John. We're going to go to 1 John chapter 4. And we're going to go to verse 16. So 1 John 4, 16 through 19. This is so powerful. And it says, we have come into an, and again, this is the Passion Translation. I just like the way it puts certain things in and I love how it puts it here. It says, we have come into an intimate expectation, excuse me, an intimate experience with God's love. Notice that it says an intimate experience with God's love. God doesn't just want us to know, but he wants us to experience. Let me tell you something very quickly here. And if we have time, we'll go there. But Ephesians chapter 3 and around verse uh, 18, it says, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Well, the question begs, if it passes knowledge, how can you know it? Well, and the deal is, is that it's talking about it's talking about a revelation as far as like a knowing versus an experience. And the Lord wants us to experience his love that goes even past our understanding. And for those of you that have experienced the love of God, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That he lavishes love upon you. You experience it in your emotions. You experience it in your life. You find the favors, different things that come to you that you're like, oh my gosh, why am I getting this? It makes you ask questions. Why is this happening to me? I was sitting, and I even took a picture on my phone. I was sitting in the minister's conference at one point, and you could see, 
I don't know where I was sitting, at least a thousand people where I was sitting, and there was another thousand people that were in there, while Mike and Carrie were up on the stage, and I took a picture, and I thought, why am I getting to have access to them? People would, people would pay to stay with Mike and Carrie. Nobody else gets that. Why do we get that? I can't tell you other than it's the favor of God. I don't have a reasoning for it. And I look at that, and I go, God, why? And he's like, well, I love you. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't love the other people. They've got favor in other ways and different things. That's something special that God did for us, and we're, we're just really thankful for it. And, you know, so God's favor, like, that comes from, it's, you're favored because he loves you. You understand that? You have favor on you because God loves you. That's the reason. It doesn't come to you for any other way. Now, there's a difference, and it's very important that we distinguish this because there are people that will, they'll talk about, you know, them getting God's favor and blessing and these things, and it's because they did X, Y, Z. Well, because they did X, Y, Z, they might have positioned themselves rightly to receive it, but God didn't give it because they positioned themselves right. Hello? Grace doesn't come to us because of any works that we do. Grace comes to us because of the work that he did. And as we posture and position our lives and our hearts in the right place, that's when it will come to us. It's just like you're sitting here tonight and you're being blessed by being in the presence of God, the presence of believers. You're here in the word. You've positioned yourself to receive. Whereas somebody else might not have come tonight or they might not go to church at all on Sundays and they're not reaping the things that you're reaping and receiving in your life because they haven't positioned themselves rightly. Amen. So that's how it comes. But it only comes on an unearned, unmerited basis. It's not because we're so great. So here's the deal. And let me, I was going to say this. I interrupted myself and then interrupted myself again, and I'm going back to my first interruption. It's important that we have experience and we have knowledge. Because if you have knowledge without experience, then your knowledge at some point becomes invalid, invalid. Because the knowledge of God's love is about him loving us. And if we don't ever experience his love, it would make that knowledge seem like it's not really all that it's cracked up to be. However, if you have experience and you don't have knowledge, revelation, biblical understanding of it, you will feel God's love. And then you, at times, you won't feel God's love. And that's when you need to go back to the word and you say, he will never leave me. He will never forsake me. God is love. He's passionate about me. He sent Jesus for me. And if he who did not spare his own son, how, how will he not freely give me all things? That's when you go back and you rely on the word and go, it doesn't really matter what my emotions feel at the moment. It doesn't matter the level of favor that I'm walking in at the moment or the lack thereof. I know that I know that I know that God loves me. So we have to operate both in experience and in knowledge. And both of those make up a great revelation that will propel us forward. So it says then you experience the fullness. Yes, of God. that's exactly right. Take a break from this and let's pull up. That's really good. We need to read that. Let's go to Ephesians. We'll come back to First John and the Passion. Go to Ephesians chapter three, and let's read this real quickly, verses seventeen through nineteen. Let's read this real quickly together. And this is out of the New King James. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, if you're filled with all the fullness of God, how can you not live victorious? I mean, you, you don't have, you can't, you can't get any better than being filled with all the fullness of God. I believe that when we got born again, we got filled with all the fullness of God, 
But really what this is saying is that you should experience and walk in and know and operate in all the fullness of God because of the love of God that's been shed abroad in your heart, because of the love of God that you've experienced that passes even your mere knowledge or understanding, that when you do that, that's when you'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Thank you for amening that. That was wonderful. Let's hear a big amen. Amen. You know, I was just going to say, it's, it's dimensions, the width, the length, the depth, the height. It's, it's unsearchable. So we can search for it, and, but we can never outmine it. We can never outmine all of the fullness of what? I spilled water all over. Sorry, go oh. ahead. <laughs> You're on it, girl. Go for it. Of God. And so the fact is that you can keep growing in knowledge and experience of God's love. It is on, it's, it's, you can tap into it, but it, you know, it's just so vast that you can't fully know it. Maybe when we get to heaven, although, you know, and it talks about, um, the creatures all around and the throne room have all the eyes and they continually circle around the throne of God and they're seeing new facets of the Lord. So maybe it isn't, maybe we get to spend all of eternity fully trying to comprehend all of the fullness of God's love. Awesome. That's awesome. So I say all that to say that we can grow in our capacity here on this earth to be able to hold more, to be able to know more, to be able to experience more. And then I just think, oh my gosh, if we're growing our capacity and it is for us how much greater than or do we have ability to just keep letting it flow out of us? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's like that's rocking right. me right, right now. Like, and I, I can say this for, you know, personal testimony, the more that I just want to experience him, to know him, to love him at deeper levels, to, I, I can't even really, the more he keeps giving the more I keep getting, the more I keep wanting, the more he keeps giving. It just keeps going like that. And I can tell that like my, my capacity from when I started my walk with the Lord to where it is now is so much greater. And I want more. If there is more to experience, I want more. Yeah, and right. he's willing, but sometimes we don't have the capacity. So the only way to get the capacity is to keep expanding by just going and being with him. So good. Go That's and so be good. with the Lord. And sometimes he, you know, his love, it's, it's given to us so freely. We don't, we don't have to do anything for it. And we can just go sit with him and he'll just, he just gives it to us. Anytime we acknowledge him and anything that we do, he so, so much just comes and he pours it out on us. And it's so awesome (laughs) and you can experience it. But then it's also knowing it's, you know, sometimes I'll have like moments where I'll just, I'll invite the Lord, but it seems, it seems so quiet. And it seems like we're, we're not talking or we're, there's not this back and forth. And that's when you have to go back and you know, like God is with me and God is love. And then it's like later, he's like, I just, I just wanted to be with you. And that's awesome too. God wants to be with us. 
He wants to be with us. That is his heart's cry and his heart's desire is to be with his creation. Not even sometimes with this exchange, although you get that exchange, but it's just to be with each yeah, other. That's exactly right. And, you know, the Lord loves us unconditionally and he deserves everything that we could even fathom to give him. But he loves us whether we give him things that we should give him or not. And it's interesting because the same love that's given to us really is the same love that we should give back to him. It's a question we should ask ourselves. Do we really love God with agape? Do we love him unconditionally? Or does our level of love for him, is it tied to the amount of blessing that we're walking in? Did we find ourselves saying, Lord, I just really love you whenever the thing worked out, whenever the, the, the thing got, finally got fixed or the bill got paid or we got the new car or we moved into the new house or whatever it was. And, and it's good to express joy and gratitude during those times. I'm not saying that. But is that the only time that we find ourselves really giving love to God? Because if it is, then we're not operating in an unconditional love. It's conditional. And what the Lord really wants from us is that we can say we love him when we feel nothing. We can say we love him when we're experiencing nothing, where it could be like Paul and Silas when they're in, in, the, in jail, when they're in the prison, and they begin to worship him. I can imagine. Now, you can see that they did feel something at some point because the ground began to shake. But before that, they probably didn't feel a thing. They just chose to love him and praise him and worship him. We're called to that. We're called to be at a higher level. And I've, that's faith. And when you, when you step out in faith, then you'll have the results of faith after that. But if you're expecting to, to feel something, then you're going to believe it. That's a Thomas syndrome. Thomas wouldn't believe unless he could see. And if we're operating like that concerning the love of God, then it's not, and it's not a really pure form of love. We should love God and really love him with abundance coming out of us if we never got one good thing from him all the rest of our days. He still should get our love because it should be unconditional. Amen. So going back to first John, and we're going to close with this verse 16 of chapter four, it says, we have come into an intimate expression. I said it again, an intimate experience with God's love, and we must trust in the love he has for us. Let me see if I can read it. Let me put on my glasses here. Okay. Let me read the whole verse again because I keep messing it up. We have, I can see fine, by the way. Uh, we have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love he has for us. And truly, we do love him because he first loved us. And when you experience love from somebody, you're able to trust them. The reason we trust the Lord is because of the love that he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in love are living in God, and God lives through them. By living in God, by living in God uh, love has been brought to its full expression in us so that we may fearlessly face the day of judgment because all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. All that Jesus now is, all that Jesus now is, all that, let me say it again, all that Jesus now is, so are we in this world. That's incredible. <laughs> Love never brings fear, for fear is always related to punishment. But love's perfection drives the fear of punishment far from our hearts. 
Whoever walks constantly afraid of punishment has not reached love's perfection. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. Hallelujah. And I could go on and read from there, but where there's love, there is no fear of judgment or punishment. None. And we're supposed to have that relationship with the Lord. And let me slide this in here in closing. We are supposed to have a relationship with people that operates the exact same way. When people are in our presence, they should not fear judgment or punishment. I, uh, I'm just going to say this because I have the microphone and I can. But <laughs> I was listening to uh, when we were at the minister's conference, and, and I don't think that this was bad. But it made me say, Lord, there's a higher level to operate in. And when we were there, the, the CEO of Andrew's ministry ministered one of the sessions, and it was awesome. I mean, it was incredible. For me personally, it maybe was the best one. But at one point, he, he was, uh, and of course, they've got these huge screens, and they've got the people in the back that pull those scriptures up just like we do here. And at one point, he started reading from a different translation. And, and this is the guy, he's everybody's boss, except for Andrew. He's everybody's boss in the place. They have like 600 employees and all the Bible college students and whatever that, that volunteer. And so he's everybody's boss. And they were back there, and they were shuffling, trying to find the translation that he was reading from. And he said, hey, guys, it's okay. And then he said to all of us, he said, I think they're a little afraid of me right now. And I thought, and I, I got it from like a boss perspective. But then I was thinking, do we really want people to be afraid of us? I mean, no, and I'm not coming down on him. I love that guy. I love that guy. He's incredible. I've learned so much. I've read his books, all that stuff. But do we really want people to be afraid of us? And if people are afraid of us, they could have, they could have an issue. I've, I've met people that are afraid of me because they're just afraid of preachers or whatever. I don't know. But I've had people afraid of me because I didn't treat them the way that I should have. And they were afraid of the repercussions that were going to come from me because of them messing up. And, you know, it's, and it doesn't matter what your position is. People should not be afraid to be in our presence. And it's not always an issue of fear of like some big hammer coming down, but it's a level of, of being judged and a level of not being loved, whatever that is. They're not cared for. They're not honored. And therefore, they don't want to be in our presence. And if people feel that way about us, something needs to change between us and the Lord, first of all, but then it needs to carry out and be changed with the way that we're relating to people. People should feel the affection of the Lord when they're in our presence. And I'll be the first to tell you that I am not the perfect, perfect person at doing this. And thank you for all of the grace and mercy. Anytime that I didn't show any of you the affection of the Lord, the pleasure of the Lord, the love of God when I was in your presence, I'm certain that I've missed it with maybe everybody in some way. But my heart is, as a matter of fact, this has become my life's goal. And I've kind of set a thing in, by the end of the year and I don't know how to describe this other than to say this. By the end of the year, I'm believing God that I'm going to have people, and I don't want anybody to do this to try to fulfill this personal prophecy, <laughs> but I believe that I'm going to have people come up to me and say, I can just feel the love. I can just feel love coming from you. I can just really tell that you really care about me. Now, I've had people tell me that from time to time, but I want it to be consistent. And the way that it becomes consistent, that that becomes tangible from other people, is when on the inside I stop being complacent towards them. The opposite of love is not 
hatred and offense and unforgiveness is complacency. It's to where you can be around somebody and you don't pursue them, at least in the level of your heart, to where you don't pursue them the way that Jesus pursues them. You ever been in a room with somebody that maybe you don't carry, maybe you're the kind of person to where you've gotten to a place where you don't carry offense in your heart anymore. And I thank God if you've gotten to that level, thank God. I'm there. I, I don't carry offense in my heart. I mean, I've had times when I've had to check myself before I would wreck myself with particular people and situations. But as a general rule, I don't carry that anymore. I don't believe in being offended. It does too much damage to me. Joyce Meyer said being offended is like drinking poison thinking it's going to affect the other person. It's very true. Offense is a nasty thing. And I can honestly tell you, I don't live in any kind of offense. But I can also honestly tell you that I've been in the room with people that I didn't have any offense or unforgiveness or hatred towards them, but I didn't particularly like them, and so I avoided them. Let me ask you the question as the Lord asked me, is that what Jesus would do if he were here in their presence? Or would he get the affection of the Father for them and find a way to minister and bless them? The latter is true. And if we're called to be Christians, we're called to be little Christ, may the love of God be manifest in our life to such an extent that people go, what is going on with you? And our answer would be, I'm just tied to the Father. I'm just, I'm just connected with him. I found real, true, eternal life, and it's knowing him. And I can't help but to love people because I'm oozing with the love of God all over me. Freely we have received, freely, freely we, we give. give. And love is the thing that endures and right. will endure for all of time as we know it, but eternity. That's right. And so um, we didn't read, but I challenge you to read 1 Corinthians 13 and the Passion Translation and read it, receiving it from the Lord to you, but then also read it, read it with how, how am I in my love walk, God? Am I incredibly patient? Am I, you know, long-suffering? Do I hope for people? Because that is not being complacent, just what you're saying. It's being able to see that person that you might not really truly like, let alone love, but God loves them. And if we are to be his hands and feet, if we are to be the sent ones, then we should be bringers of his love into every situation, into every relationship, into every place and every space, because that is who we are. And when you, like you said, when we know when we know and we experience the love of God and how it has changed us and how it has captivated us, then we should want anybody and everybody else to experience that same love. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.